Good morning. I hope everybody is doing great today. I noticed as I was walking by outside that we tend to be a little 2015 heavy on our praises. And so don't forget about 06, 07, 08, 09. Uh, I figured this morning, since we're going to be talking about raising the praise, I wanted to give you one thing that I was thankful for each year from 06 all the way currently. And so I thought I would give you a visual to explain to you what happened each and every year. So these are going to pop up on the screen as we go by, starting in 2006. Now, I'm not going to tell you the name of the place where this is for fear of persecution, but when I was in college, this is where I had a lot of my classes. And it was my sophomore year of college that I met a professor that changed the way that I viewed education. You know, there's always that one teacher or that one professor that you find that makes the information that they're communicating to you come alive. And so in 2006, I met a man by the name of Dr. Tom Harris. He's now retired, but he was an organizational communication consultant for Fortune 500 companies, for NASA. And it was in his class that I just was intrigued with every word that he said. And I know all of us can identify with somebody in our life that makes what we're learning come to life. So that happened in 2006. 2007, I met Ashley, who is my bride. Our first date was November 9th of 2007. And I had, legend has it, that I had around 15 glasses of water during that meal. Because when I ran out of things to talk about, I would constantly go to my glass. And so Ashley said she counted and that it was up in the teens. So I think it was 14 or 15. We went on our first date in November of 2007. In 2008, I graduated from a place that I won't name again for fear of persecution, but that is a famous spot on campus, uh, the Chimes. I'm not even going to give you the name of the Chimes because that will give it away. In 2009, Ashley and I were married. That is a picture of her on our wedding day. We were married June 6th of 2009 in Tallahassee, Florida. And then we went on our honeymoon, and we moved to New Orleans, and we have been here ever since. So that was a day that I will never forget, uh, meeting the love of my life and marrying her on that day. In January of 2010, six months into our journey of marriage, I went to a stadium on the West Coast. Many of you have heard of it. It's one of the most historic places you can go to see a football game. And I went to the Rose Bowl, which is in Pasadena, California, and I went and saw this certain team play another certain team in a football game and my team won and I am honestly grateful that I had the opportunity to go it may sound silly to you but it was a trip that I got to go on with my dad and my best friend and I will never forget being able to see a game with that type of scenery in the background it was unbelievable 2011 I graduated from the seminary with my masters I am so thankful to Dr. Kelly and all the faculty that have invested in me at that school that's a picture of the, the chapel on our campus and then in 2012, December of 2012, we found out that we were having a baby. And that is the picture from the very first ultrasound we ever had of Beckett Alexander Rutland. He looks just like a little peanut there, but he is now almost two. And so in 2012, we found out we were expecting. In 2013, we found out that there he is, August 15th of 2013. Now in that picture specifically, we look like death. <laughs> we had an event at the church the night before. It was our children's kickoff event, and so I didn't get home till 9 or 9.30. I get home. Ashley tells me that she is in pain. Now they have apps where you can measure your contractions, so we pulled out our iPad. 
we measured the contraction, and sure enough, it was within the range that we needed to call the doctor. So we called the doctor. We got into the hospital around 10.30 that night. Beckett was born at 2 a.m. So it all happened very quickly. And then in 2014, in October of 2014, why would I have Paul McCartney on my top 10 list? Well, because I got to see him when he came to New Orleans just this past October. And being a lifelong Beatle fan, my dad has taught me their entire library of music. Ashley and I went and saw him live in concert, and it was the best show I have ever seen in my entire life. Sir Paul McCartney. I can call him that because he's been knighted. So he's officially Sir Paul McCartney. And then in 2015, this is going to sound silly to some of you, but I have to be honest. Me and Barry Ash share a huge love for horse racing. Any of you know who that is? Remember his name? Nobody? No, wow. American Pharaoh is his name. And he ended the drought and won the Triple Crown a month ago this weekend. It hadn't happened since 1978. Affirmed was the last winner, so he won the... Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. You may say, this is a silly thing to be thankful for, but I had Ashley sitting by me, and I had my son in my arms, and I teared up watching a horse race, okay? <laughs> but it was important to me nonetheless. So what am I trying to say here? The things that we should be thankful for can be serious things, trivial things, big things, little things. We should be praising God in every aspect of our life. So this morning, if you will, take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 is where we're going to be, looking at a specific prayer that David voices to God shortly before the construction of the temple. Now keep in mind, David all along throughout his kingship and his ministry was thinking, I will be the one that gets to build the temple. And what does God tell David? No, you won't. You have too much blood on your hands. You've killed too many people. This is going to fall to your son, Solomon. So Solomon, we know, is the one who builds the temple, but God allows David to be a part of the preparation, raising the supplies, uh, raising the money. And this happens shortly before the temple is actually constructed. So we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 10. It's going to be a little difficult. There we go. Starting in verse 10, this is David's prayer. He says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. David knew the importance of giving praise to God. And I believe in this particular prayer, in these short four verses this morning, God is speaking to us about ways that we can praise him that we learned directly from David this morning. What I want you to realize this morning in the very first verse, David affirms that God is his father. 
He recognizes that, that God is his father. In fact, if you think about the entire Old Testament, really it is just a picture of a father and his children. It is a story of God disciplining, loving, encouraging, warning, providing boundaries for his children, the Israelites. When you, get, when you begin to think about all the stories that happen in the Old Testament, he provides boundaries for the Israelites through the giving of the Ten Commandments. He delivers them from Egyptian slavery. He protects them through the Red Sea experience. He loves them throughout their entire journey. And he treats his children, the Israelites, like an earthly father would treat their children. David recognized that God was his father. Just like you and I have an earthly father, we have a heavenly father as well. And he protects us. He disciplines us. He encourages us. I was working at camp in college, very similar to camp in the city, which we'll talk about later on in the service. We had a great week. Uh, We had over 75 children and camp counselors from all over the southeast. But I was working at camp in college where we went from town to town and we put on the camp. And then at the end of the week, we packed up our U-Haul and we went on to the next town. And so that Friday afternoon, we were packing up and we were loading up our supplies. And I was hanging off the back of the U-Haul truck. You know how they have those handles on each side that you can hang on if you want to ride on the back of it? And being 19 and being unintelligent at the time, I was flipping back and forth with my hands. So I would grab one, then I would let go and grab the other. And we were driving, actually, going about 35 miles an hour. And we hit a bump. And so when I went to grab that handle, guess what I grabbed? Air. I fell off the back of that U-Haul, going about 35 miles an hour. Should have had broken bones. Should have had at least a cracked skull or something. But I was able to escape that day with nothing more than a bruised up knee and a skinned up elbow. All that to say, God protects us even in our stupidity, okay? God is a God that is always watching over all of us. And he is an eternal father, as David says. Each and every one of us in this room has an earthly father. Many of them have passed. Some might still be living. But even if they have passed, we have a heavenly father that is with us forever. He is permanent. When we leave this earth, we rejoin our heavenly father forever and ever, David tells us. God desires to be your father. That is not an impersonal thing. It is a personal relationship. He wants to invest in you. David understood the importance of realizing that God is first and foremost his father. When you keep moving along in the text, what you find is David also is celebrating the attributes of God. He gives all these descriptions of who God is. He says he's great, he's glorious, victorious, majestic. As I mentioned earlier, camp in the city was here this week. It's a Pine Cove camp. They come into churches. We had over 75 kids. As Christy mentioned earlier, 59 of the 75 were here on scholarships. So we brought kids in from all over the city. And these college students were investing in the lives of kindergartners through fifth graders each and every day. My nephew came down and stayed with us this week. He's from Alabama, and he attended the camp. 
this being his first time away from mom and dad for any type of camp, it was unsettling for them, and I think he was a little bit nervous. And the very first day, his counselor walks up to me and introduces himself. Hey, my name is Steven. Shook his hand. We began to talk. It turns out he is from the exact same town where I grew from, grew up, grew up at. He went to the same high school I went to, graduated from, or attends the same university where I go, and we had all these connections. Boom, 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 boom. My nephew is from the exact same town that this counselor is from. Friends, those things do not happen by accident. We serve a great God who is involved in the circumstances of our everyday life. He cares. I want you to look to your left and to your right this morning and think about how else would I know the people in this room if it wasn't for the body of Christ? You think about that for a second. We live all over the city. Our kids literally attend hundreds of different schools. We have jobs that don't connect us in any way. But yet when we come here on Sundays and Wednesdays and throughout the week, we are family. That is because we serve a great God who understands the importance of the body of Christ. Some of the best relationships that many of us have come when we enter through the doors of this church. So not only does David recognize that God is a great God, he also says that he is a majestic God. I want you to think about that for a second. In January, Ashley and I went and visited some family. Ashley has some family up in North Carolina, middle of nowhere, Fountain, North Carolina. Anybody heard of Fountain? That's what I thought, yeah. Fountain, North Carolina. It's like an hour and a half from Raleigh. We were flying back in, so we flew from Raleigh to Tampa and then from Tampa to New Orleans. Has anybody taken the connection flight from Tampa to New Orleans before? If you have, you'll realize that you're cutting straight across the Gulf of Mexico to get back here. So we're flying on that flight, and I notice the gulf beginning to shrink in, and it's this winding path of water that I'm beginning to see from 30,000 feet up. And I realize I am seeing the mouth of the Mississippi River, and we followed that path of water from the mouth all the way in to New Orleans from 30,000 feet up on a beautiful, sunny day. God is majestic in his creation. I looked around. There were people sleeping on their iPads, the window shades down, and I'm thinking, this is the mouth of the Mississippi River from 30,000 feet up. Wake up and look at this that God has created. I didn't really say that. I was thinking it at the time. It's incredible. I'll never forget that experience. He is a majestic God in everything that he creates. And David goes on to tell us the most important aspect of who God is that he is a victorious God. That is, our God wins every single time. He is undefeated in a world where violence and hate, families broken apart, our God is victorious in everything he does. His will cannot be thwarted no matter what. And David celebrated these attributes of God in the way that he prayed this prayer here in 1 Chronicles. He knew that God was in control of his life, which leads David to a third point this morning and leads us to think about this. 
relinquishing control of our life. David is telling us here, rest in the fact that you are not in control of what happens to your life. God is in control of everything that we experience in life. You know, one of my favorite presidents is Andrew Jackson. Now, I know I'm probably going to lose half the room because there's probably a really polarizing divide over how we feel about Andrew Jackson. He's a folk hero down in New Orleans. We know that. But we know Andrew Jackson was a military hero, and he goes on to become the seventh president of the United States, and I've read a lot on him. He helped coin the idea of this concept known as the self-made man. We've all heard of this, okay? The self-made man. That is the idea that you can overcome uh, poverty, that you can overcome lack of connections, a lack of family, lack of education, and you can rise to prominence because you are a self-made man. The worst thing Andrew Jackson, one of the worst things Andrew Jackson ever did was think that he was a self-made man. Friends, there is no self-made man or woman that ever walked the face of this planet. God gives us everything in life, good and bad, that we have. You know, what's interesting about this passage, when you look at verses 10 through 13, you find the second personal pronoun, you, 11 times in these four verses. If there's one thing David understood throughout the course of his kingship and his ministry, everything that happened to David was because God allowed it to happen. Go back and look. We don't have time today. But go back and look at 1 Samuel chapter 17 when he's about to slay Goliath. What are the words that David says? He says, today God will deliver you into my hands. It's not about David. He knew it. And we know David's life is full of highs and lows. Okay, he's a murderer. He's an adulterer. But the reason he's a man after God's own heart is because he knew where his source of strength came from. He deflected attention away from himself and put it on God. Many of you have read the great book by Jim Collins known as Good to Great. It's been out almost 10 years now. And he explores a concept throughout this book talking about the bus. That is, when you're hiring people in an organization, you want to get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus, and make sure you have the right people in the right positions. So this is the idea that you make sure you're hiring people that fit within your mission as an organization, you get the wrong people off, and then you make sure that the people you have are in the right roles, that they're doing what they have been designed to do talks about this throughout the book. It's one of the most important concepts he mentions in the book. I want you to think for a second, who's driving your bus? Who's driving your bus? Corporately as a church, who's driving our bus? You know, Henry Blackaby, David mentioned this last week, but one of the best things he did in experiencing God is reminding us that we are invited to be a part of what God is doing. Not that we invite God to be a part of what we're doing. No, no, no. That is wrong. One of the dangers as a church and as churches all across the world are growing is thinking that it's our ideas, our strategies, our personalities that are drawing people to Christ. No, no, no. 
What draws people to Christ is his spirit moving in their lives. So we are invited to be a part of what God is doing, not what we're doing. And David understood this. You know, it might have taken David his whole life to get it all right, but he realized that his life was about bringing God glory. One of the biggest lies that the devil is promoting today is the idea that we need to be doing what makes us happy. That is an insult to the gospel. Our lives are not about what makes us happy. It is about bringing our God glory. Does that mean we all live miserable lives? No. God does give us the desires of our heart in conjunction with bringing Him glory. Our lives are not about happiness, but they are about glorifying God through the way we live our lives. And David understood that. And the last thing David teaches us this morning as we look at verse 13, what we find is he had developed a habit of cultivating praise to God. It was a habit that David had. It wasn't something he just did at one time. Part of the reason I gave you the visual images at the beginning this morning was because I really had to think about 2006, 2007, 2008. I didn't just have these memories that I could just bring forward. I had to think about it. And that's because we live in such an instant gratification culture that we're always moving on to the next event or to the next big thing. The 4th of July is over. Let's start planning our Labor Day. Once Labor Day is over, let's start thinking about Thanksgiving and so on and so forth. We don't take a lot of time as a culture to reflect. And that's part of the reason we're doing this series so that we can remember God's blessings on our lives these past 10 years. So I want you to join me in a little experiment this week. I want you to take five minutes each day of your prayer time. Devote it to nothing else but finding reasons to praise God. Five minutes. Every day, nothing but praising God. Not intercessing for anybody, not confessing our our sin, even though I want you to do that. But I want you to spend five minutes thinking of reasons to praise our God. As you saw at the beginning, they can be trivial, they can be silly, big or small. Take five minutes and cultivate the habit of praising God. You know, we don't have time to read it this morning, but the end of 1 Chronicles 29, guess what happens after this? David loses his kingship and he dies. So this isn't the kind of prayer that you would expect from him, right? He's about to forfeit his kingship and he's about to die. And yet, verse 13, he says, praise the name of God and give him glory in spite of the fact that the riches that he had acquired all of the fame were about to be taken away and given on to his son. He was still praising God in spite of his circumstance. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself the question, are you praising God the way David was praising God in this passage? Are you celebrating his attributes? Are you recognizing him as father? Have you relinquished control? Have you said, God... It is not my will, but your will. And are you developing a habit of praise to God? This is what David teaches us in this passage. He is a man after God's heart, 
because he deflected attention away from himself and he put it on his heavenly father. Will you bow your head with me this morning? God, make us servants of you. Help us to praise you in the good times and in the bad. Lord, if we haven't made it a habit in our own lives of of praising you daily, God, this week, may we make an effort to do that. May we make an effort to, to let go and allow you to work. God, we are thankful that we get to be a part of what you are doing. Teach us, mold us into what you would have us to be. God, your glory is what matters. Forgive us when we think it's anything else. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.